0: live streaming from texas this time we have annette wittenberger joining the show and it's a u.s army veteran an author an advocate a mentor she is one busy lady Annette, thanks for (laughs) joining joining me today
1: thank you so much it's it's honestly the biggest honor to be on your show
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i appreciate that um annette Let's start with your military service. Uh, You got about 17 and a half years of service. That's a long darn time. And uh, what was your trade?
1: I was a chemical officer, but I didn't just focus on that. I did a lot of things.
0: (laughs) So what is a chem? uh, Because I don't speak American. (laughs) What's a chemical officer do?
1: so it was uh, the initials were mbc and that involved the the gas chamber that nobody liked nobody liked to put on the mop four gear from head to toe and go in that chamber it was one of the worst things but it was part of the training you know just for future events that involved chemical warfare so we did that we did that training with the one that no one liked
0: you're the gas 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 lady I am. (laughs) That is not a good time. I did not know that there would be a dedicated... So you spent 17 and a half hours looking after the gas chamber, the gas hut?
1: Well, no. So because... It wasn't really taken that seriously throughout the years. <laughs> I did other things too. So I spent time doing personnel, um, logistics, training, but the primary focus was training. I, I helped to schedule all that, get our soldiers to, ready for deployment.
0: Yeah, nobody likes the gas hunt. It's not a good time, except the instructors, because they don't actually have to, because they're <laughs> masked up before they walk in and they get to giggle.
1: And, yes. <laughs> and make sure that
0: their can- make sure that their canisters are fresh, so that they don't get a lungful themselves. Exactly. Uh, has there been any studies that, of long term damage from uh, being in the gas hut?
1: I have not heard any. It's been from other things like Operation Orange and all that. So, um, but I'm still fine. I you know I did it plenty of times. I even went in <laughs> there with I shouldn't even say this. I went in there without my mask at at one point, and I'm fine. <laughs>
0: Can you build up an immunity to it?
1: Um, I I don't know if I did. Every time it affected me differently, but I think I just got used to it. I knew how to properly just go in there without my mask, hold my breath for a certain time. So I kind of (laughs) learned.
0: Well, I guess a lot of it is just getting used to that bizarre sensation, too, of the tear gas.
1: Yes. It's not fun either way. Not a good time. No. No. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, but uh, I still have pictures of basic training, uh, of doing the doing the gas <laughs> hut, and and everybody's flapping around like chickens after trying to uh, get it out of their uh, bunny suit.
1: That's the first image that crossed my mind when you said that. <laughs> yeah, flap,
0: <laughs> yes, flap, 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 flap. Nothing but snot coming out of you.
1: Yes, not pretty at all.
0: Well, I still get runny noses for absolutely no reason to this day and I I've often wondered if, if it was uh the gas hut that did that to me. I don't know.
1: Maybe, maybe. Oh, I,
0: I hear a veterans affairs claim coming in.
1: right, <laughs> no, right, that'll be next.
0: Um so what'd you do cuz you were at the armored corps for quite a while?
1: Uh first AD? Or with, I'm sorry.
0: I don't know. I just saw on LinkedIn, it said you're um, that you also served with an armored unit.
1: I did. So armored and infantry, both. So same slot, you know, everywhere I went, it was as the camo, the camo, um, or, and then I just did other things. But, but that was a slot I filled.
0: So who were the nuttier of the two, infantry or armored, as if I have to ask?
1: Oh my gosh, they're both special. <laughs> <laughs> They're both special. So, yeah, I can't. <laughs> Different experience for each one of them, but nothing that I would change.
0: <laughs> well, who was in better shape, though?
1: Mm, those infantry guys.
0: <laughs> That's right. You got that yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can say he's an ex infantry guy, for sure. <laughs>
1: they were.
0: If I was going to stay in the Army, I probably would have gone to Armors just so I could relax. Like, oh, this is nice. <laughs>
1: a lot of field time though they like to go to the field a lot
0: yeah but they have tents i never even knew that we had tents until i saw armored guys in them like what the heck is that we issue those
1: like a palace
0: (laughs) what is going on your food is warm what
1: that is true
0: (laughs) and how did you get here to the middle of nowhere in the tank you didn't have to walk what
1: You didn't have to ruck it? That's crap.
0: <laughs> Where's your rucksack? It's on the tank. Your tank carries the rucksack. Yeah, that must be nice. Good for you. <laughs> um, so tell me about some of this uh, work that, uh, that you've done. There is a lot. So mentor. You, you do all kinds of mentorship for, um, for, for trauma victims.
1: I do. So I mentor with uh, several organizations, uh, just because I love it. So with Veterati, e-mentor, NASDAQ, Entrepreneurial Center, um, I just love to try to give back, but mentoring specifically with what I do, I, I focus on, you know, childhood trauma because I've, I, I understand that experience. Um, being in a car accident because I've been through that, so there's specific things that I focus on because I personally understand it, and it's it's very uh, it's heartbreaking, you know, to to hear people's stories. But I, you know, I try my best to provide that that ear to listen because a lot of us that go through trauma just want to be heard, you know, and not um, and try to figure out how to live life.
0: Do the military provide you any training for being a mentor or being a peer supporter?
1: In a in a sense, yes, because I was a leader, you know, and I uh, and I was a commander, so I think I just I learned how to do that by by watching others, but also just by instinct. Uh, I don't want to say it's because I'm a mom, but that my, my soldiers were like my children. They were my family. So I tried to give them that motherly advice at times that, um, You know, you don't usually get because you are surrounded by tough men, you know, and so sometimes they don't give you that. So I come in. So there's like good guy, bad guy. (laughs) I was like the good guy sometimes trying to provide to them that mentorship that they need for the questions that they had. I didn't get that a lot, you know, and so I felt like it was needed.
0: On your LinkedIn profile, I didn't see. uh, Do you have any overseas deployments?
1: I do. I deployed to Iraq once and Afghanistan.
0: Okay. And uh, that's really got to be important for being able to connect with those that have been deployed as well when you're, yes. when you're, when you're doing your work. Do you yes. find out if you didn't have those de- deployments that it would be difficult to do the work you do? Uh,
1: in a sense, yes, because there's so many that have so many more that deployed that have not and with several deployments. And so I feel like it, it does help with that experience. Because I could understand how it is to be away from your family, especially with young kids or as a spouse or, you know, whatever role you play, it's difficult to be deployed.
0: Which uh, deployment was first, Iraq, I would guess?
1: Iraq, yes.
0: And what year was that?
1: 2005, 2006.
0: Okay. What was your role in Iraq?
1: I was a company commander.
0: Okay, for...
1: For the HHBN of the uh, Fires Brigade back then, it was the Devardi, but they changed it to the, the 41st Fires Brigade
0: okay. out of Fort Hood. So you ran the firefighters? I did. Were any of your firefighters in a calendar after? <laughs> which, which one was Mr. July? <laughs> no. Different, no, different kind of firefighters? I'm sorry? Different kind of firefighters, no calendar different, for them? Different.
1: Different, different calendar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what What are some of the big differences between a military firefighter and a civilian one?
1: Um, other
0: than the calendar.
1: Other than the calendar, you know i I, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of them in my unit. I had most of mine were were um, the. I'm sorry I can't even the words aren't coming out. The the leadership, so the brigade commander was under under my leadership. Uh unfortunately, I had to tell him what to do. And uh, in certain instances and um I had a lot of cooks. So the important people that uh made sure we ate, they they were they took a, most of my company.
0: Well, the cooks are either really popular or really not. <laughs> and uh <laughs> <laughs> I had some good cooks in my some company. Good ones?
1: <laughs> yes, very talented that went on to make a career out of it afterwards. So yes, really good cooks
0: in Canada. The Air Force bases have outstanding food. The Army bases, not so much. Is it, is it the the same kind of idea in the states?
1: <laughs> uh Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> why? Why did? Do why do the blue hats get all the good food?
1: I don't know. I don't know. It's funny, though, because when you deploy, one of the highlights is to go to visit every dining facility that you can possible to to eat all the different food. It was just one of those things. It's like, ooh, this CFAC has soul food on Fridays. This CFAC has uh, seafood on Wednesdays. So it was like, that was our highlight.
0: When I was in uh, on my deployment in Croatia, the best time ever is when our cook was on leave because one of the... <laughs> one of um, uh, us, one of us grunts was uh, an infantry guy for a few years, got out, became an actual chef, and then got back into the infantry for whatever crazy reason. So when the, when the real cook was uh, off on leave, is like, oh, Ozzy's going to be in the kitchen. And with the same ingredients, we had a completely different experience. Like it went, oh. went, went from gruel to gourmet pretty damn quick. We were even that's on so o- Even on OP and he's got all these uh MRE ingredients and he made a uh Hollandaise sauce for me. Like, how do you do that? What wizardry is this? Oh my gosh. But when you got somebody that can cook, I tell you, that's a pretty big morale booster.
1: Yeah, yes. Food is uh that makes you happy. <laughs>
0: It makes you happy. Well, everybody would always have a couple of things that Mrs. Dash with them, you know.
1: Or the little Tabasco sauces. Yeah,
0: Tabasco sauces. (laughs) Well, what would be hilarious when we're in the States, the Americans would always want to trade us. uh, So yours are the MRE. MREs we call ours IMPs don't even okay. know what the hell that stands for uh individual meal pack that's what it stands for okay so MREs IMPs same thing but it's always the grass is greener on the other side and the Americans would fall we like the one that we hate the most is the ham omelet just oh. and so we'd see an American with some <laughs> ravioli and like hey you want to try a ham omelet? <laughs> they That's delicious. <would> tra- <laughs> they'd trade you. It'd be great.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I could think of several of them that were just not, not good.
0: <laughs> have you ever eaten any international rations? I have not. The Germans are the worst. The French are really? the best. German rations, wow. the longer the name, the worse it tasted. Oh, <laughs> When, oh my gosh! When the name of the of the food went all the way across the package, don't eat it. I, <laughs> I lived off German rations on a mountain for uh, a few months, and uh, all I could eat was the liverwurst and the crackers, and I ate a lot of it. Oh gosh! But when the French rations were there, those French know how to eat. Let me tell you.
1: Oh my gosh! I'm so jealous. <laughs>
0: Uh, tell me about your deployment in Afghanistan. What was your uh, role there?
1: I was the redeployment officer then. So coming back from from there was my was my role, and uh, that deployment was the toughest one, I believe, because we lost a lot more there, and I've never experienced that. So. Um, yeah, that one will always be ingrained in my heart because it was it was that was difficult.
0: Did you stay mostly at CAF or were you out at FOBS?
1: We were on Jalalabad, so an airfield that you couldn't ever leave. <laughs> so it was just a big circle. <laughs> um so yeah, I, and the only way I, I left was when my commander uh he let me experience his Fob um visits We had nine different locations that we had soldiers at on mountaintops and all that. And so I got to visit them and really um, not experience, but see how they live. So when you said mountaintops, that was the first thing that came to mind is we had soldiers that had to boil their water, you know, live out of huts and on the top, you know, protecting us. So that was just that
0: was a very eye opening yeah, it's something else. I lived in a cave for a while uh, while, we're, oh while we're while we're while we building the the ops. At um, uh, yeah, the mountaintops. It gets a little windy up there.
1: Yeah, a little bit, especially when it's. Uh, or when I went to visit them, it was there was a lot of snow, and so I couldn't even imagine.
0: Yeah, well, I was never in Afghanistan. My mountaintops were in Croatia. It was is it a little bit calmer place, but not by much. <laughs> during at that time. <laughs> Um, tell me about your podcast. Well, actually, let's start with your book. What was the impetus for writing that book? Oh,
1: that was more of um, the continuation of my self healing journey. Uh, I needed to really get it out there to provide hope for myself and for others. Um, it was that was a difficult journey to to be on to really dig deep into my past of why I. Do what I do now? Like, what is my why am I the way I am? And, um, yeah, just so I dig deep into what happened since i the age of six all the way until 2021. And it's just, it was, it was emotional, but I, it is, it was to provide hope for other people, to provide inspiration to others who are going through their battles, uh, and their past to how can they make it. Um, how can they make it to the present day? You know, what, what things can they do to not let it define
0: them? And did you open up completely in your book?
1: There are a couple things that I did not put in there for respect of my, my husband, but, um, otherwise it's, I really did. Yeah. I, I opened up a
0: lot. And how did that affect you opening up so much? Must've been difficult to do, but was it worth it?
1: It was worth it. My family now knows and understands me and, um, but it was, uh, you know, it was difficult. There's something, there's a lot of things that they had no idea about and, uh, now they do. And, but what, what really, really sticks with me is the fact that I've had family reach out and say, Oh my gosh, we need to talk because they don't know how to deal with it, d- deal with their past. And so there's a lot of things we just didn't know about each other, you know, because of we were raised together um, for most of our lives. So to see the similarities with our parents is, um, it, was, it was a crazy ride. I think the most difficult part for me, though, was I did make my book into an audio book and I narrated it myself. That one, that one was hard. That was harder than me writing it
0: processing it though saying it out loud Uh, on the top of my shirt i don't know if you can read it it says uh, recover out loud oh you know i need that (laughs) (laughs) and uh, well there's there's only the one only one i got i think i'll have to make a few
1: oh my god yes
0: (laughs) but so tell me about recovering out loud what that means to you and the importance of it
1: that puts it out to the universe. It makes it more real. It's almost like when we tell people write it down, you know, do a vision board, but when you say it out loud, it becomes so real. And so that's what happened when I read it out loud. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so much. It's, there's so many more emotions saying it than writing it. And I think once we're able to say it out, say what we're feeling out loud, that's when it just really becomes real. So when I say I'm, you know, I live with PTSD, depression, anxiety, it's a lot different than me writing, I have mental illness or I have PTSD because it's making me accept it and and learn to live with it, you know, instead of suffering from it in silence.
0: A lot of times trauma survivors will downplay uh, their injuries and their experiences. Uh, People often think, oh, just being dramatic. Well, there's not too many of those. I mean, those happen. Where yeah. where people exaggerate their experiences, but um, even if, in those cases, if they are, there's a reason for it that it needs to be explored. Right. Uh, why why is this person exaggerating? But that that would be the minority. The vast majority greatly downplay.
1: So mm-hmm. when you
0: were narrating that book, hearing yourself say it out loud, did that help you be more kind to yourself and not down, and just accept uh, your your past? by having more respect for it cuz like oh that was a big deal.
1: I did, especially when my um the person who helped me who helped me do the audiobook when he had to take a pause and say wow, you know you're this is you're doing a great job. I had to just take a deep breath and, and realize that yeah, this is a big deal, and I really I really survived this because before it was, like you said, uh, you know, it happened. But, no, it happened, and I'm here. I'm still here. And I've seen that a lot, not just with me, with other people, too, when we talk about, for example, car accident experiences. I went through a very traumatic one, but when someone else gets in a car accident, they'll say, but mine wasn't as bad as yours. No, no, don't say that. Like, a car accident is a car accident. Rather... It doesn't matter how traumatic it was. It's still traumatic to be in one. So I don't, you know, I feel so bad because I said, don't downplay your experience. It's still an experience. Let's talk about it. Are you okay? And so it's things like that. And I think we do that a lot with our experiences. Well, it wasn't as bad as yours or, you know, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's become normal for us to do that.
0: Well, it's the trauma Olympics, and it goes both ways. Either people are like, "My trauma is worse than your trauma," <laughs> or they say, "No, well, your trauma is way worse than what I went through." It goes both ways. It's uh, it's the same, and um, either way, it's wrong because you can't compare. It's right. it's not the same. Like, try to explain an orgasm to somebody. Try to explain yeah. that you can't explain yeah. that, and I don't know what it's like for somebody else or what it's like for me. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody has a different chooses from a different menu. You know, mm-hmm. if everybody liked the exact same food, there'd only be one type of uh restaurant out there. They they'd all be steakhouses for me. You know, <laughs> yes. and every and everybody would have their steak cooked exactly the same way with the exact same stuffed baked potato. Mmm, mm, Yeah, <laughs> But um but that's not the case. You know, mm-hmm. we, we all have a different experience. We all see life through a different lens. Um, right. I, if my listeners will forgive me for saying the same thing again and again, uh, on my tour, there's about 2,000 of us, and there's 2,000 different experiences, right? So one person can't say, well, that was a really easy tour. What's your problem? And the other person can't say, that was just so horrible. You know, I, I can't believe everybody is not traumatized. It's like, well, no, but who were you when you went into the tour? Mm. like like yourself joining the military um, your PTSD would be complex PTSD it would be CPTSD because it wasn't just military experiences it, it was the whole life before that created the lens through which you had those experiences and yes. we all have a different lens because we've all had a different life similar perhaps but never the same mm-hmm. I like that that's so good
1: great explanation
0: What else are we going to talk about? (laughs) I'm I'm not often stumped. So your book, A Wall Between Two Lives, what does that title mean? Tell me about the wall.
1: I lived, I felt like I lived two different lives. I was a completely different person um, even just 10 years ago. And I, I was speaking about this the other day how I was really self-destructive before Um, the way I coped with things was just not, it was not cool. I, you know, it's embarrassing. It's sad to me that I lived that life and now I'm in a space where I probably open up too much, but I do it for a reason. And because I know how it is to be a suicide attempt survivor to um, drink and drive, which I can't believe I did that. And so those, that wall that completely changed me that I lived behind because I was afraid of these feelings. That I didn't know how to, I didn't even know what was going on with me. You know, I didn't, I didn't know until I was diagnosed and then it made sense. And I'm like, Oh my God, that, but we didn't know how to talk about it because we were raised in the military to be these tough badasses as a male or a female and so you hold all those things in. And so when that title came to me, I'm like, that's it. That is, that's what I'm going to name it because that is how I feel.
0: That stigma, because like reaching out for help is so hard for anybody, but especially for first responders and military men- members, because we're mm-hmm. the ones that normally wear the capes. You know, we're supposed to be the the ones that charge towards the bullets and uh, go in when everybody else is running out. And we like being that person. We don't like to admit that sometimes, oh, shit, (laughs) I need help too. I got got wounded. I got hurt. And um, we are not kind to ourselves and sometimes Mm -hmm. not kind to each other um, Mm -hmm. when that hand goes up. How has the culture been in the the military, in in the U.S., for putting your hand up? Is it getting easier for people? Is the stigma starting to get erased at least a little bit? They're talking about it more, but
1: it's still there because they're, well, I know like with me, I retired six years, almost six years ago. We didn't want to lose our security clearance. And so if we go and see somebody within the military and then it gets back to our command, that fear is there. So I have not seen it get better, but we're talking about it more. I just don't know what's going on inside. You know, are they really doing something about it behind the scenes? I, I don't know because I keep hearing complaints from people who are too, still too afraid. To say anything to speak out, so it's it's still there, but we're talking about it more,
0: and that's what we gotta do. that's one of the gaps that this show fills. I mean, I'm an aggregate mm-hmm. for resources, but I'm also the stepping stone to therapy, mm-hmm. and um unfortunately, and I wish this wasn't true, but I am all the help some people have,
1: yes, uh, I
0: just uh did a suicide intervention with a British veteran last week and uh, he didn't have any other resources other than this show, which is horrible, but it's, it's been enough for a lot of people because you can tune in whenever you want, listen to any episode that you want. This is episode number 208. So there's a lot of them to choose from and I'm just getting warmed up, but if this is all you got, Okay. That's cool, I hope it helps, and a lot of people have told me that it does help, but it's because of the stigma that this show has become the only beacon of hope for a lot of people, and I wish that wasn't the case, but it is, because uh, they're scared of being a career-ender. Yes. You know, it's more than just the embarrassment of putting your hand up. You shouldn't be embarrassed, but people are. Um, it's the, what am I doing in my career? I would actually like to do this career and, 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 and do well at it and and retire it with a nice big fat rank and a a nice pension. And, um, and they don't want to interrupt their career progression. So they keep their mouth shut and it's understandable. I get it. Mm -hmm. Is that part of the work that you're doing is, is trying to, um, make it so that it is easier to put their hand up?
1: Yes, yes, especially now we we have a lot of organizations here, <clears throat> a lot of nonprofits who provide therapy and the resources to get help outside of the military. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the most amazing things that I have seen. It, it's, it, and so any time that I talk to someone, I always refer them to them because then you don't have to be – embarrassed about it because you're seeking some outside support who wants to help you who is there to help you and it makes it a little bit a little bit easy a little bit better for them because then they're like okay good so I don't have to stay on post on base I can go outside I can get this help or I could do it virtually I don't have to see them face to face there's so many different ways now that we didn't have back then and that I didn't know of and so I you know, and I, and I do give out my phone number. I have a phone number that people could text or call or they reach out to me through social media. So I've had a lot of anonymous people or, or people through Instagram. Whatever the case is, they have reached out to just be heard. And so I I do that because, like you said, sometimes they don't know anything but your podcast or your website or whatever. And, God, it's, it's heartbreaking. But what a powerful feeling to know that we have been – kept here on earth to do that to help other people like that so i i stand behind it i I, this is my full-time thing is to focus on that to show those that are still serving that you can get help and those that are out that are veterans retired that you can still get help there's there's better there's not better ways there's other ways to do it as well
0: The veterans get the attention, but who is often left by the wayside are spouses and children.
1: Yes. Yes. And it says here
0: that you're an advocate for the children of veterans who I think are are left out of the loop more than even spouses.
1: Yes. So I, like I said, I was destructive. I was not very nice. Um, I raised my children. They've been in the Army life all their life, and... They, my my daughter specifically, she's twenty one now. My son's nineteen, but she specifically, reached, you know, spoke to me <clears throat> a few years ago and said, "This is what we saw, <clears throat> and this is what you did to us." And that, um, that was very hard to hear. And I had to do something. And she said, "Why don't we create something for those kids who are who have parents?" Or when you know have parents that that suffer from this, what can we do for them? And so that's that's one of the biggest things that I do now too is to share their story and show that you don't you have no idea what they see. I used to think that I could brush it off. I I, I thought that I could just tell them to go to their room and it's not a big deal or my anger issues. All these things that I that I masked and, and covered up from my pain, it really did something to them. And so now that they're young adults it is so important for me to continue that conversation and to show them that your angry outbursts and all these things it's not the way to solve problems and let's use our words let's you know try to communicate better because we didn't have that before and I want them I want to leave a legacy for my kids I want them to learn that you could go through things but it's how you handle it. How can I prepare them for the future? I don't want them to be like me. Like how how I was. I want them to be the better version of me. So yes, that was a long winded answer. But that is it was for them because she, she told me, honestly, what I what how I was.
0: The guilt and shame of what we have done with our children. How we react. It's, it's tough, and um, it's why I reached out for help. I was down on one knee. My little guy was, geez, I don't know, uh, seven. Uh, my youngest, just the sweetest, kindest little soul. Dawson, what the hell is wrong with you? you? You dropped crumbs all over the floor. And then my wife put her hand on my shoulder and said, Honey, they're, they're just crumbs.
1: Mm. We can
0: clean them up.
1: Yeah.
0: And watching his face melt, watching me break my kid, then I realized, oh, fuck. Yes. Because I was trying to get a grip. Like, I realized that there was a bit of an issue, but I thought I could handle it, and I couldn't. I thought I could rein myself in, and I couldn't. So that was the day I finally picked up the 1,000-pound telephone and reached out for help. Man. I feel that if uh, I encourage to, I know this is resonating with a lot of people right now. What uh, Annette and I are are talking about, I encourage you to go within the first twenty episodes of this show. I can't remember the episode number, but talk. But uh, the the title of the episode is "How to Not Ruin Your Camping Trip," where I talk about actual tools to um, not do that and why that's happening in the first place, because. What's going on is that our trauma brain is using the old uh, amygdala and it's fucking us up. So it's the fight, flight, freeze part of our brain. And although our frontal cortex realizes, well, this isn't a life or death situation, it doesn't matter because it's not in charge. We have no access to our frontal cortex. It's the amygdala that's running the damn show. So, I share some tools on how to switch that, and how to uh, bring mindfulness to these situations so that you can get through them without popping your, your cork. But it's, it's for our kids. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your kids. And this is also why so many people isolate themselves, um, end up driving a truck or some other kind of job where they don't have to interact with people too much.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: It's the same. Annette, anything else that we need to talk about? Oh, gosh. I
1: could talk about this all day. I think, you know, the most important thing right now is just, just to reach out, even if it's not to your commander, you know, a friend. That's why we're here, you know, to, to reach out to because we get it you know i I understand i can talk all day about how i was as a parent how i wish i would have been but how i made it and and you know you can too you really can um i've done all the things drinking and you know just acting crazy but um i'm so thankful that i'm still here you know and i want to continue to keep people here as well because we all have uh, a mission in this life and we need to be we need to work together. We need to continue to work together to stop this.
0: How can somebody find your book and audiobook?
1: You can go to a wildridecalllife.com.
0: A wild life dot com and it's yes. and it's all there. Is there a link to your podcast on there too?
1: There is. There is and you can search it anywhere, the Truths We Hide podcast.
0: The Truth We Hide podcast. Yes. Is that available on Spotify?
1: It is. All right. (laughs) And the book is available on Audible and iTunes.
0: Annette, thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for your service and thank you for your continued service. You are a bright light in this world.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do.
0: Please stay on the line, Annette, and we'll chat off air. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment, that would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring